want to be a witness, an effective witness to you. And so, Lord, cause us to hunger for your ways this morning. Lord, give us an appetite. Stir in us a willingness to want to cooperate with your ways, which are higher than our ways. Speak, Lord. We're listening. Illuminate your word. Make it understandable to each one of us. And help us, Lord, to obey your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to continue in our um, sermon series from Acts, A Church on Mission. And as we do, um, there's just a little change from um, what we had planned, and I want to explain why that would be. We've been looking um, at Acts week by week and verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And um, we want to hunger for God's ways. And God guides us. Yes? God guides us. And so um, this week in noon prayer, we meet every week to pray. Those that can join us, we meet right over here to pray for our church, to pray for our neighborhood, to pray for the world. And something happened in that prayer time that um, we were praying about unity and disunity. And it was as if the Holy Spirit was just upon Stephanie and her heart was broken and she was crying over church disunity and broken relationships and the effect of that. We finished up our prayer time and went about our activities that were scheduled for the afternoon. At the end of Wednesday, I happened to check back in with Stephanie. Her heart was still broken. She was still in tears. And friends, it made me think about, seriously, God's heart for his church, that we would be one. And while the passages of scripture that we're going to look at could easily be one of my pet topics about raising up and equipping young leaders, which don't we all know is on God's heart, but I felt like the Lord was saying, pay attention to the disunity and the sharp dispute that Paul and Barnabas had. And so... This week, we're going to look at that, and we're going to cover a little bit more scripture than we had initially planned. And then next week, we're going to talk about conflict resolution. We're going to talk about how to have a hard conversation. And we're going to talk about a commitment to unity and even reconciliation. And so a two-part series or two-part little sermon grouping here within our Acts series, okay? So that's where we're going and that's why. You're going to see us preach from um, Acts this week and then next week we're going to take up some um, a more topical um, sermons um, looking at conflict and unity and disunity. So we're in Acts 15, starting with verse 36 this morning, and we're going to read through 16, verse 5, and I'm going to give you that. So Acts 15, starting with verse 36. All right. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This is the reading of the word. Um, I want to just speak a comment about this because some of you maybe are wondering why, if they just delivered this um, decision about circumcision not being necessary, why then did Paul suggest that um, Timothy be circumcised? And if you notice, he was a believer. He... um, this was not about his faith and it's something, a step necessary to um, be a Christian. But this was more a matter of a practice that could not be a stumbling blocker. It just could help. Just like if um, there was some reason why a culture would want to wear short haircuts instead of long ones, it might be good to cut your hair just to avoid any kind of um, extra difficulty when you're already trying to share a gospel that's just real foreign to those that have never heard about the living God. And so um, that I just wanted to clear up before we go on. So I ran across this cartoon this week, and here is um, an elderly woman, and it says, After 50 years as the church organist, Gladys made a genuine effort to adjust to the new worship format. Don't you appreciate Gladys? And um, how many churches maybe have there been difficulties and very, very jabbing and caustic statements between one another about worship style? Yes? Some of you maybe remember that. Um, And so we're so grateful for um, when there is unity and a willingness to um, adapt and adjust. We have a value here at Gold Avenue, intergenerational worship. And so um, you'll see young people and old people together worshiping. You'll hear different styles of music. Um, and again, a, a how do you do ministry? And that seems like that the how-to so often is where some conflict comes. And so um, let's think about Luke. 
Luke. Paul and Barnabas. Let's think about Paul and Barnabas. How about it? Because that's who our uh, passage scripture is about. And so they had godly desires, divine desires. They wanted to go back and strengthen the churches. They together, they agreed on this vision of like how the Lord would lead. They were agreed on this desire to go back. Let us go back and see how they're doing. And Barnabas didn't have any issue with that. He thought that was a great idea. They also did not have disagreement on the need to mentor young leaders. And if we had stopped with the first section, which was actually just the part we were going to initially cover, we could have maybe drawn a conclusion, you know, because when you read, you don't read the whole story. You know, we could have thought, oh, well, maybe, um, you know, Paul was against taking a leader because he was against taking John Mark. But actually, when we carry on, we see he wasn't against raising up young leaders because he really was interested in taking Timothy along. And so they both agreed and shared these divine goals, these divine desires to strengthen the churches, go back, check in on them, and also take along some others to raise up leaders. They had a difficult discernment. They had divine desires that were shared, but they had a difficult discernment together. This wasn't a right or wrong thing. It wasn't a doctrinal issue. They had struggled through a doctrinal issue when they tried to say Jesus plus something for faith, right? That was a doctrinal issue, and they had to stand firm on that. We heard a doctrinal issue last week about um, the definition of marriage between one man and one woman. We have to stand firm on what Scripture speaks about. But Scripture does not tell us the how-to, all right? Yes, we're to go and make disciples, but the how-to. We have to lean on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We have to listen to how the Lord would work through one another. And so this was more of a matter of how were they going to approach this. And I believe they had differing values. Let me explain. This is this just is very... Um, a very short comment about they had a sharp dispute, right? It doesn't tell us a lot. But if we think about how they were functioning, what their backgrounds were, maybe we can understand that maybe there were some value differences. I think for Paul, he wanted a solid team. He, You know, Barnabas, he was comfortable with Barnabas. They had worked together. I think that Paul valued a solid team that he could depend on. And when they had had John Mark along... John Mark had abandoned ship, and so I felt like that perhaps that Paul was really saying, this trip, this second missionary journey is probably going to be hard, and I want a solid team. And maybe he made an assumption that this was a long-term partnership. Did he stop and ask the Lord about that? We don't know. But I think that may have been one value. Another one was credibility. If they're bringing Mark along to strengthen the church to stand firm, but Mark had left and abandoned, you know, maybe there was a credibility issue, and he wanted to make sure that there was people who had stood firm and continued to live out that life so that they could encourage others to follow their example. Another thing was dependability and um, engagement. 
when you're looking to um, put people in positions of authority or leadership, um, they suggest that you look for people who are already demonstrating dependability and faithfulness. And from what we can tell, John Mark had left when they were on their first missionary journey, and it does not say that he was busy working alongside them strengthening the church um, for that period, but actually that Paul, um, that Silas, why do I keep saying Paul? Oh, all right. Silas had been um, very, very instrumental. And so we look at these two that had been sent by the um, the church in Jerusalem to come down, and they had been very helpful. We also see warfare readiness. And I believe that Paul already had experienced the warfare. And um, Peter Wagner makes the point that when you're going into evangelism and um, strengthening the churches, there are spiritual battles. And he was wondering, will we face again where a teammate abandoned ship? Because if you remember what happened um, before is when John Mark got on that island and they met the sorcerer, it was after that encounter that then all of a sudden he just left. And so did he have the um, strength and the spiritual vitality to know his authority in Christ and to be ready to stand shoulder to shoulder like soldiers in the defense of the gospel? So that may have been a value that Paul held. I believe Barnabas valued growing a team. I think that maybe he saw the opportunity to multiply. And so might it be good to, you know, add to our team, to bring on these young leaders, to grow them up. Maybe he held a value to give a second chance. Remember, Barnabas is called son of encouragement is what his name means. And so... Second chances, given another chance, encouraging, all right? His gift of encouragement, I just want to say, sometimes when we have that gift, sometimes we're not um, always objective or wise. And so because we just tend to want to give people second chances, was it wise or not? I don't know. But I think that it was a value that he held. And then he might have just wanted to say to Paul, and maybe this was part of their sharp disagreement, is how do you become ready for warfare if you don't give people chances to go in? But finally, honor. A culture of shame and dishonor. Honoring family was very, very highly valued. And remember that Barnabas and Mark were cousins. They were family relation. And yet there's also this honoring of partnership And so Barnabas was really kind of stuck between who do I give honor to and family, I think, was one of those that um, probably won out. I ran across this quote, discerning is not the same as deciding. Deciding comes only after deep discernment happens. And I wondered, how deeply did they discern? Did they take time and prayerfully discern? Or was it that there had just been battle after battle after battle Did they make a decision too quickly? I don't know. We don't know. 
but there was disappointing disunity. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love is not easily provoked. Interestingly, as I was reading and meditating and reflecting on this, I kept thinking, I think there's something about that sharp disagreement. I need to look that up. Like, I need to look at the, the original language of this. Um, just kept nagging. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of kept nagging me or prompting me, whichever way you want to think about it. But, you know, when you're doing your dishes or you're walking or whatever and you keep having these thoughts about your sermon, it's like finally you go, oh, maybe I better pay attention and look this up, like this sharp disagreement. Well, that word provoked is actually in the original the same language as in the same word as this sharp disagreement. And Rick Renner, in his book that looks at the original language of the Greek, he um, tells us that this was the same word, provoked or a sharp disagreement. And it's the word um, would be the same. It would mean to walk alongside and poke with a sharp object. So, Brendan, if you and I were walking along together and I just kept jabbing you with like a sharp dowel, you know, just just poking you, just bugging you, just... All right? That would be the idea of this sharp disagreement. Just keep throwing words that are sharp and pointed, verbal jabs, pokes, pricks, sharp words. And then the root word of the sharp disagreement is the same word it's used for vinegar. So it's sour, it's bitter, it's caustic, acidic words. So do you see what it's saying in this little, they had a sharp disagreement. They were throwing verbal jabs at each other that were like throwing acid on each other. Just bitter, mean, harsh words. It's recorded for us in scripture because I just appreciate the transparency of scripture. That none of us get it right all the time. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But there was this sharp disagreement where Paul and Barnabas were battling with words. I've been listening to a book by Francis Chan, um, and it is called Letters to the Church. And in his book, he talks about how that um, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was in the Holy of Holies and the temple was this sacred space and that now the Holy Spirit is in the believers and so and we are part of a body and so we are that sacred space and so when people are railing at each other or railing on the church it's like taking a sledgehammer and going to the temple and starting to pound on this holy holy place when we're throwing these jabbing words, when we're saying words that are, are um, not thoughtful and respectful, but are sharp and disputing, it's like we're um, hammering on something very, very sacred. The Lord's presence in one another, that's what it's like. That's what we're doing when we're having conflict. It's an act of violence against God's presence. And it hurts our witness. 
We've all sinned. Paul sinned. And Barnabas sinned. They participated in disunity. And as I watched and heard Stephanie cry, I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit personally. How have I participated in disunity? How have I spoken jabbing words? whether it was about the how-to of music or whether it was about a strategy for discipleship or personal relationships, family relationships. My daughter sent me a little funny meme. She thought it was funny. I apologize for everything I said when I was a teenager. (laughs) Haven't we all? said things we wish we could take back. Caustic words, harsh words. But I'm telling you, friends, it cut me to the core because all of a sudden I thought, I did that. I spoke to somebody or I disrespected their value and didn't listen well enough. Or I allowed something to happen that caused a disunifying effect in ministry that could have been a beautiful partnership. I've been sending some apologies this week. I've been crying this week. I've been broken under the word of God this week. And I want to invite you to consider, have you participated in disunity? Have you thrown some jabs? What might the Lord want to speak to you about. And I want to tell you, as much as it's absolutely heartbreaking to recognize your own brokenness and your participation, it is so freeing to know that we can bring our sins and our confessions to Jesus, who these visuals and this picture of poking something sharp, of caustic vinegar, of a sledgehammer. And I think about who Jesus is, that he loved us, that he came to earth to lay down his life, that that sledgehammer nailed him to the cross. That those sharp, mocking words that he endured to be able to offer forgiveness to us, those sharp thorns on the crown on his head, He took that for us, the sharp spear that would go into his side, the vinegar that would be lifted to his lips. And he would say, I knew you, and while you were still a sinner, I died for you. And we can come to him, and we can bring our brokenness and our confessions to him, knowing full well that he loved us, he's forgiven us, And he wants us to bring these things to light so that we can too receive his forgiveness, offer forgiveness, and die and rise with Christ. This story has grace in it. Grace because of Jesus. 
Yes, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, and it truly is grievable. Some commentators want to just jump right to the fact, well, isn't it wonderful that there were two teams out now working, and that is God's grace. Because do you know that quite often when there's a split, that there's a death, that people, churches will die because of a split. If you track it back, if a church goes to death, you can often track it back to a split that happened or a disagreement, a very sharp disagreement that happened. Praise God that they didn't quit ministry, but actually that they ended up with two teams. There's grace in that. There's God's grace in that. There's also the possibility that maybe they learned from this as we can learn from it, that if we would slow down and know better how to talk with one another and listen to one another and prayerfully discern, maybe we could avoid some of these in the future. But I want to tell you a couple of other things of grace. I've been reading some Karen Kingsbury novels, fiction, just for fun. Sometimes you just have to get your mind, like do something other than, I just love reference books, um, and I read reference books regularly, but sometimes you just got to do something different. So, But her stories are there, there's always like this redeeming aspect, right? So she tells about a dilemma, but then she talks about how Jesus comes and brings good and brings beauty out of ashes and joy instead of mourning. Well, let me tell you just a couple of things that are beautiful out of this story is that towards the end of Paul's life, he was able to um, say this. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul refers to Barnabas as a fellow worker who shares his life and labor. You don't talk about somebody as a fellow worker who shares your life, your very life as well as your labor, if there hadn't been a respect and a reconciliation at some point, the breach had been healed. And so that's grace, friends, that there could be healing beyond a separation. Also, there was humility and reconciliation in Second Timothy 4.11. Paul was um, left there, and he um, asked Timothy, go get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful. In serving me. And so there was reconciliation. And that grace is such good news. That even when we mess up, that there's the possibility that we can still mutually honor each other. And even perhaps be back together again in ministry and service of one another. All scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for correction and training in righteousness. And maybe for some of us this morning, this is a training. Maybe you've never really had a big disagreement or a big um, separation, although I can't imagine that we get very old in life before we've had some sort of disagreement and some sort of broken relationships. But if that's you, then praise the Lord. Listen to this and learn something this morning. And come back next week and learn more about some practical ways to have hard conversations in an honoring way. For those of us who have gone through and experienced very difficult relationships, very harsh splits or harsh words that we wish we could take back, 
This morning, maybe this is more of a rebuke or a correction. And I believe the Lord would say, receive my grace. Receive my love. Receive my forgiveness. And even as you seek forgiveness, extend forgiveness. Perhaps you've been hurt and the Lord would invite you to bring a wound this morning because he's our healer. The end result as we continue to work in his ways and follow him is that the church will be strengthened and the gospel will go forward in effective witness. That's our prayer and that's our hope. And one of the ways we do that is by tending very carefully to our relationships. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the transparency of it, the goodness of your word, and the way that you would guide us. And Lord, you know each person here. You know what they've been through. You know their life experiences. Lord, I ask that um, you would pour out your grace. Lord, I ask that you would help us to humble ourselves, to acknowledge our sin and our wrongful ways, that you would, even in this week, that you would just open our eyes, Lord, to look at it through other people's eyes, to think about what other people's values were. Lord, if there needs to be reconciliation, I just pray that you would even be now working in hearts and lives near and far and across the world, wherever those people are, Lord. I pray that there could be a story, a story of Jesus and how he reconciles. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who has never received that forgiveness and come into a relationship with you, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would know how much you love them, that you lay down your life for them. And so, Lord, let this be the day of salvation, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.